Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us, for joining me, for turning a moment into a movement. I am Jay Love. Thank you. I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. And um, we come here every Friday because of Gerard. He was wrongfully convicted for a crime he didn't do, innocent, and he went to prison for that crime. And because of that, um, his journey, my journey with him, and all of those that I met on that journey, we created this platform called Turning a Moment into a Movement. Well, we come here on every Friday to discuss wrongful convictions, injustice, and, and other things that plague our community. We're here to educate, to motivate, and to bring awareness. So thank you for joining me. I want to, as um, I always say every week, if you want to hear more about, you know, wrongful convictions and things like that, join us by subscribing to our YouTube page. We have YouTube. We're on Twitter. We have people watching live on Twitter. Thank you guys for watching and on Facebook. So subscribe, like, and, you know, um, when we come here on Friday's live, you'll be notified that we're live. So anyway, I uh, also want to tell you our mission is to bring awareness to the wrongful conviction of Gerard and all others who are wrongly convicted, over-sentenced, me mentally ill, and medically frail in our community to inspire, organize, and educate all communities about the need to disrupt systems policies and patterns of the criminal legal system that lead to wrongful convictions. That's why we're here every Friday. So thank you for joining us. This week is a great week because um, the whole crew is just about here today. So um, we're going to be talking about uh, mental health. As you all know, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we're going to... The next couple of this week and next week, um, our subject is mental health awareness. So I'm going to bring on the panel, have them introduce themselves, and then we're going to get on with um, our conversation for today. So first, we're going to bring on Revitia, of course. Hey, Revitia. Well, hello. Good evening, Jay. Good evening, everyone, all of our wonderful listeners and viewers. I just wanted to say thank you, Jay. Thank you for staying in the mix of things, in view of it all, and despite it all. And you still have your joy, you still have your peace, and you're still being guided. And we are too. And um, I just I thank God for everything that has happened because we are stronger because of it. Mm -hmm. I am so excited to be here this evening, coming to you from the choice zone and uh, standing with those who, you know, I'm always on the forefront for mental illness. That's my thing all day, every day. I do behavior intervention uh, for children. I also do uh, mental health interventions for adults. And uh, it's, it's so important. So the topic is important because this is who is behind bars most of the time. And so it's much needed conversation. Uh, I also represent Michigan Coalition of Human Rights. We are having our annual meeting. So if you're interested, um, 
in any of these. I mean, you've got so many people that you can stand with as far as boards and movements and survivors speak and, you know, trichets. I mean, there's so, there's a plethora. So I'm just telling everyone to contact some of us, one of us, all of us, if you want to, and take a stand and take action in a positive way, because we can no longer look outside of ourselves for the answer. We are the solution. Thanks, Jay. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Tia. I wanted to pick up on something you said. You said um, most often um, those with mental health um, issues are the ones that's incarcerated. And sometimes yeah. they're the ones that's wrongfully convicted as well. So, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Reverend Tia. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I see Trisha. I'm going to bring her in. Hey, Trisha. Hey, family. Happy Ooh, Friday. I like that picture. Happy Friday. I know. I miss y'all. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to be <laughs> back with you and grateful for um, just the opportunity and just this platform, you know. Um, it just talks about some very real issues, you know, and things that people really need to hear. Um, and so, Jay, just thank you for bringing us together week after week and just the consistency of the information that is shared across these airways. Uh, I love you both dearly. And um, I tell you, I when I think about this topic today, you know, I think about so many people that are walking around and not even aware of their mental health status you know it's so taboo it's so uh not talked about and um you know so that's why i'm grateful that we are talking about it and especially like you said there are so many folks that are incarcerated that were mentally ill they just needed some help you know, and what does that look like? Why do we as humanity always want to penalize people instead of giving them the help they need? That's why we're here. We want to uplift that. So thank you. You're welcome, Trisha. Thank you. We've been missing you. You feeling good? I, you know what? If I turn my camera on so y'all can see where I'm at right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm grateful. I'll say that in spite of, and I'm just happy to be here with you. All right. We're happy you're here. So Allie's here this week, you guys. Ah, what up, Allie? <laughs> hey, Allie. Hey, y'all. What's going we on, family? <laughs> right. We see you in a month of Sundays. <laughs> yes. Oh, my Lord. But you've been busy. Yes. Yes, busy moving, you know, about to own my first place, first house. So, uh, yeah, I've been figuring that all out. I, you know, didn't know the loan process and house search process was so chaotic. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm glad to be done now. Closing is on the 30th, you know. Um, so, yeah, going to be moving in. Me and my little sister, we're going to be, you know, young black queens living it up. Single yeah. life. So, hey, hey. <laughs> so um but let me let me go ahead and introduce myself stop playing i am uh alexandra hughes community activist and organizer um and right now I work for michigan liberation i'm a mental health based building organizer with the care not criminalization campaign uh i have experience working in the behavioral health uh industry as well 
um, and just honestly activist at heart. And I just, um, I do what my heart calls to. Uh, I fight for what I feel is right. Uh, I fight for my family, for myself, and because I know we can have a better world. And yeah, I'm glad to be here today, especially on this month. Uh, very dear to me. Yes, I'm glad you're here too. You're going to be leading the conversation tonight, so that's going to be pretty awesome. Can't wait. Well, you guys, Attorney Mac is here. Hey, Attorney Mac. <laughs> Much love and respect. Good to see you again, Miss Hughes. Good seeing you. I've been I've been following you, you know. So awesome. <laughs> hey, look, hey, look, I, I just want to know where the autograph land starts. That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so look, so good to see and be with you, beautiful black women. My goodness, my goodness. You know, I think it was, it was the weather girls singing a song called It's Raining Men. Well, it's just raining beautiful black women all over here. And I'm just wet. I'm just all wet all over. So I'm happy. I'm joy to be here. Trisha, looking forward to being with you tomorrow. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Reverend Tia, always a blessing. And our leader, our leader, Jay Love, Jay Love, Jay Love. So Hugo J. Mack here, one of the uh, few attorneys in the state of Michigan who did not parachute from heaven to be with you, but came up from hell through the power of God and Jesus Christ to be with you today. And I always say that because my experience, understanding raw conviction, understanding seeing people with mental health every day during my penitentiary experience, fighting not to be in that medline myself. I remember a woman by the name of Reverend Tia Liljohn said, we're all on the spectrum. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> Being black in America and all we've experienced, we all could be on the spectrum. Ain't no shame. Ain't no shame. Matter of fact, there's something wrong with us. We ain't on the spectrum. That means we haven't lived, we haven't lived the real experience. We live in a fantasy world. Don't know what's happening to black folk. That's what I'm saying. So, so in any event, I'm here, dedicate the rest of my life and my career to fighting, to be a voice for the voiceless, a, a face for the faceless particularly emphasizing on wrongful conviction and overly conviction. You know, a wrongful conviction is a terrible thing, but an over conviction is right next to it, right next to it, because people do not understand the collateral consequences of a conviction. So, well, you know, well, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Well, it's a whole lot of people doing the time that haven't done the crime or, or, or have not done the crime they've been convicted of. Okay. So it, it's, it's, it's very personal to me. And this topic is so personal to me because, like I said, throughout my wrongful penitentiary experience, I saw people with tremendous mental health challenges, tremendous challenges, walk in the yard like zombies. They would medicate those people, you know, give them pills and let them walk around, just, just talking to themselves, you know, and, and it was a, a terrible, painful thing to see. So one of the collateral consequences is a person with mental health challenges once they are released, even if they max out, where do they go from there? Where do they go from there? What help is available for them? They've got the moniker of quote unquote felon. People don't want to hire us. And I don't say them. I say us because I'm one of them. People don't want to hire us to give us a fair chance at housing, at education, you know, at loans, at all kinds of resources and social service help. You know, if you have some convictions, you can't live in public housing. OK, you know, you can't live in public housing. So all these things are related largely to mental health issues. And so, you know, one of the things that I say before, I'm so glad to be a part of this because we need to expose this. And, and particularly 
in, in our community. You know, we need to learn that calling the police is not always the best thing to do right away. Okay. Because when we call the police, we basically bring in people in the community that are not really trained to deal with mental health issues. No, they aren't. No, they aren't. No, they aren't. There can be, there can be some, there can, I'm sorry. It's uh Joe Biden calling me again. I told him don't call me when, when I'm on my hookup. So, 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 no, I'm serious, you know, and plus y'all, I don't mean to put people business in the street, but you know, he even got Kamala sneaking in calling. Well, can you take it from Jesse Kamala? No, now. You know, you know, you know, quit riding, quit, quit, you know, quit riding me so hard on this. I apologize, you know, long distance from over there in Japan. I can't take that man's call now. So, 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 so what I'm saying to you is, is this. So we're here in this thing together. Okay. So, you know, I love you and we're in this freedom fighting together. And uh, here we go. If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, pull, drag toe that hoopity to Mac Street, Mac Street, park in my virtual underground garage. And when you're there, call the Freedom Line, 734-239-118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-118. And for the hearing impaired, the Freedom Line, 734-239-118. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. And Jay Love, for the benefit of those people who are trying to write this information down, let's give them a little brief entertainment interlude and excuse me while I do the boogaloo. Reverend Tia, this is for you. And Jay Love. Pulp Fiction, Batman. <laughs> and Alexandria, once again, a double dose to the Boogaloo. <laughs> and Reverend Tia, <laughs> and Reverend Tia and Trisha, it's all about you anyway. So I believe that ought to be enough time for people to have written this information down. And so I must say this, J Love. I tell people all the time and crew, if you don't want to win, don't come in. All right. If you don't want to win, stay out there taking the government cheese and being legally constipated. If you don't want to win, you need to understand you tried to rest, not do the best. And, you know, Jay Love, for all the haters out there calling you every week, telling you to kick Hugo Mac off the show. I got a message from my late cousin, Bernie. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So understand that, you haters. Understand all that, you haters. And that includes Mr. and Miss America, all the ships at sea. So, you know, Jay Love. When they ask you, uh, did that man really endorse that crazy announcement, Jay Love? Why that crazy man on there? Say, damn straight I did. Damn straight, damn, straight, damn straight I did. And so, Jay Love, I want you to know one thing. Yes. This announcement is endorsed by me and fully supported by one Hugo J. Mack, the one true king of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony Matt. <laughs> right. Well, I like when we started off on a high note. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So much stuff going on. We have to, you know, shift That's the right. energy. Right. That's right. So before Alexander gets started, we're going to talk about breaking the mental health stigmas 
and what it truly means. I have a video that Allie don't know about, but I want to play this video. Hold on, you guys. Here we go. Fight the stigma against mental health. Okay, but what the heck does that actually mean? Caring about mental health has become this like vague actionless promise from like influencers and brands and even like regular people. It wins internet points, but honestly, how often are people actually practicing what they preach? And do they even know how to when advocacy is almost never discussed in like specific ways? We're inundated with awareness campaigns, but then almost all of them conveniently never really show what stigma looks like in action. Like when you tell your friend with depression, oh, you're not fun anymore. Or or when you call a person experiencing homelessness gross, or when a clinician calls CPS on a parent who's having harm intrusive thoughts because of their OCD, or when an employer fires a depressed employee because they seem unmotivated, or when you and your friend avoid that one classmate because they have social anxiety and they fidget and stutter. Like the list is so long and it extends way beyond just mm, having a bad day. Stigma is rooted in ignorance. We get scared of things we don't understand and we further alienate people who are struggling. We call our manic coworker crazy, our depressed friend as lame, and the person struggling with addiction as dangerous. Not to mention structural stigmas that quite literally keep people from like accessing support. Think being denied insurance, housing, medical care because of your diagnosis. Mental health advocacy is supposed to mean something, but right now it just seems like an easy social cause that people just attach themselves to. Like, stop the stigma, be kind. Wellness is important. Like so many celebrities and companies and like random people online are just like regurgitating the same buzzwords to make it seem like they care. It's dishonest and out of touch and honestly really condescending. What would it actually look like if we destigmatize mental health? If we supported one another when shit hits the fan? If we focus less on self-care and mental health days and more on community care and creating supportive systems? What if instead of co-opting important movements for money and clout, we actually helped people and questioned our own internalized beliefs? Mental health is not a cute trend to talk about when it's convenient and cheapening advocacy efforts is only making things harder for people who are actually in need of treatment and support. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She's right. <laughs> she is right. I and mean, that's my reaction. You hear a lot of people talk about mental health from entertainer to, I don't know, the guy across the street <laughs> uh, and like, oh, you know, um, care about your mental health and mental health this, mental health that. But a lot of people I don't feel actually, actually invest the time in knowing what that means or do anything. I feel like it's, a, it's very few. And I feel like there's a reason for that, honestly. I, I think it has to do with some avoidance um, of people because when you look at mental health you're forced to look at racism and even ableism and I don't think people are investing the time in that that they need to I agree I agree go ahead Rabatia it's amazing that um you know, when it comes to, to mental health, it's shunned. And and that that's the main thing is that it's shunned. It's shunned in the community. It's shunned in communities of color. And so when you talk about stigma, it's stigma both ways. It's the stigma of the system that 
won't include people who have experienced mental illness. And like Attorney Max said, all of us have at some point, you know, all of us have reached a breaking point. Uh, anybody living, especially uh, here in the United States, <laughs> uh, has, has had to have a breakdown of something. And, um, and then the stigma comes from not only the system, but from the individuals, because then the individual themselves doesn't want to get help because they're going to be stigmatized. So, so it's, it's a catch too. You know, it's a, uh, you can't, you don't, there's not a healing mold modality for communities when it comes to mental health. And, um, you know, and a lot of it is demonstrated because they don't put the dollars towards it either. You can always tell what America, um, what American legislation and financial systems, what is important, because that's where the dollars are allocated. So you got to ask yourself sometimes, where's the money going? Is it going to actually help communities heal? And it's for, me, for me, it seems like we talk about me mental health when it's convenient, when someone does something mm -hmm. devastating. And then we, it's a convenient conversation. Um, there's not a, and I could be wrong, there's not a lot of proactive conversations to normalize mental health. I mean, mental health should be just as normal as going to the doctor for your blood pressure or going for your physical exam or whatever it is. It should be just that normal. But the, um, for some reason, we are we have so many biases against it unless something happens to someone or there's a mass shooting or a stabbing like it was the other day. And then they, everyone's saying, oh, this person had mental issues or this person had, you know, been diagnosed, you know, it, like a, it's a convenient fix mm -hmm. for what has happened and not like we should just have these conversations. Even, I think even in elementary school, we should be having conversations with kids about it. Like some days you don't feel good, you know, or you're not, you could be sad. Kids get sad, you know, and normalize that. You know, but I don't know. Go ahead, Allie. Yeah, you know, just thinking there what you were saying, like normalize it, like uh, it should be regular, like going to get a physical. And it made me think about insurance because if you get insurance, typically covers a annual physical, uh, but a mental health diagnosis or not diagnosis, I mean, but a checkup, you know, just... Uh, wellness check is not a annually, annually covered thing by healthcare providers. And when you think about breaking the stigma, you know, the famous phrase, um, in order to truly break it, you have to do it in more ways than one. The stigma is systematic on a policy level, institutional, personal, and people tend to pick that personal part to talk about mental health from like the me to you to interpersonal. And it's, that's not gonna cut it. It's gonna take much more to break the stigma um <laughs> much much more yeah i mean even in the video where she says uh 
instead of, you know, we, we should be supporting each other, right? Even as family members and friends, you know, not just saying, oh, you know, blowing people off. Oh, you're just having a bad day, you know, and just start talking about the next thing. Like people out here are actually suffering. And so if you don't bridge that connection with your loved ones, you know, and they don't have anyone that they can feel safe with having a conversation with, it spills over into, you know, the community and other places where it shouldn't be. And so I think the question, or I guess how we should look at these things is how do we normalize even within our families of having conversations? You know, people are so quick to kick people to the curb. Oh, he crazy. Or this person, they always been, you know, off. You know, we make it like, you know, a bad thing. Like it can't be corrected. It can be corrected if you help where people feel supported mm -hmm. in their journey and that they can get help. So I guess I'm asking, how do we even have these conversations within our families? Um, man, it's one thing when I think about it in our families, it's going to take routine. One thing it's going to take is a like routine discussion, like, from a scale of one to 10, how is your mental health today or this week? Uh, thinking about regular conversations in a household, families have, it needs to just become a regular discussion. Um, that's, I mean, one of the ways, I think, also to uh, educating ourselves and, and then providing that to our loved ones. I think of things like mental health first aid training, Think of psychological mental health first stage is more trauma informed. And there's various other ones um, that I know you could take at universities to online to, I mean, although it may not be the whole solution, it, it is <coughs> a part of it um, is having that knowledge. I think it's also um, getting in community with others about the issue, people that are like you, people in the black community, people who identify with your struggle. There are groups, there are groups in Detroit, um, plenty of them that are focused on mental health. It, it's, it's starting that conversation uh, on a community level and you, it starts to become normal when you have a lot of people in your surroundings that are also dealing with it too. Um, I think also to, also, cause I mean, the stigma is not talking about it, right? just avoiding it. it. We have to just aggressively face it is what I'm saying. Um, and that's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And I think that's also part of it is recognizing that it's going to be discomfort. Uh, but taking the steps to at least try is, is what's going to slowly chip away at that. Go here, Ramatia. Yeah, you know, and I was I was just thinking about the the fears, the the concept of mental illness that um, has been mediated, um, and and what is depicted across the airways all the time. So when it comes to to mental illness, you know, you want to you want to be aware of those stigmas, um, discussing the stereotypes and misconceptions that surround mental health. Um, and, and that's like assuming that all people with mental health conditions are violent or unpredictable 
or incapable of leading productive lives. The, the key question is, is, can a person recover from mental health conditions or exasperated symptoms? And the answer is yes. But a lot of times there's not the hope, the hope is not given or provided to people who experience mental illness. They don't say that there's re that recovery is possible. Um, and a lot of times the, the emphasis is on the stereotypes. And so when you emphasize the, the stereotype, then you reinforce the stigma. So then that means people are afraid all the time. They're afraid of a person who, who may be diagnosed with schizophrenia, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, instead of saying a person is schizophrenic, I, know, I don't say that. I'll say that they experience that. I, I, whatever the condition is, I do not allow the condition to be a a factor in somebody's life that is not changeable that is not doesn't have the ability to heal so i mean it's just like i won't say a person is diabetic because i believe people can be healed mm -hmm. i may say i say they're experiencing diabetes they they may have been diagnosed with it but i don't think that that is a true factor it's not the whole person Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we look at this, we got to look at what are we actually saying about people when we use this language? You know, what what's your mindset, you know? Um, and you hear it. I mean, I've heard it and I've used it before in past times. Oh, she just bipolar, you know. Well, she may or may not be, you know. <laughs> she may just be having a mood swing at the time. We all... We all can express bipolar at some point, you know. I've mm -hmm. been bipolar too, you know. So, but but having that stigma and then using it in such a way where a person who may really be experiencing mm -hmm. that diagnosis cannot open up now because you stigmatized it. Yeah, your point on linguistics. Li uh, linguistics. <laughs> it made me think about there are, and I saw someone's comment. There are power in words. Um, I'm thinking about like the negative connotations that come with words. Uh, whenever like calling someone bipolar or whatever, it's usually in a negative way or mm -hmm. calling someone crazy is in a negative way. Um, or just like, as if there's, there's this like thinking linguistically mental health, the, the, the history of mental health, very toxic. Um, but looking at the linguistics of it was also toxic. Calling people feeble-minded was a thing. And it was even a thing in the census when it first came out. Mm -hmm. um, and asking people if they were in, the, in your home, feeble-minded. So, uh, and also insane, you know, that was a regularly used thing. Mm -hmm. Thinking about things like that, um, also the notion of like, you can't have a mental health need or mental disability and also live your life. You don't have to, you can get health, it's just healthcare services. That's all it is. It's yeah. a healthcare service. So if you have schizophrenia, you just have a healthcare need, just as someone have a physical need. It, that's all it is. And they can live their life regularly too. But the stigma just makes it where, oh, you have to cure them, get rid of that, get rid of, you can't, like, this is who they are. We, we gotta just, mm -hmm. just accept people as they are and accept all dimensions of them. We're not one dimensional, as you were saying. That's right. That's right. Go ahead, Trisha. Did you want to say something? 
Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> um, I mean, I was just sitting here just burning at the just core <laughs> thinking about language. And so when you both brought it up, I'm like, yes. Because for me, as a social worker, that's what makes me ashamed of the field. How we label mm -hmm. people, how we use our, how we throw our theory around how we don't respect lived experience over what we've learned in some damn books. And I'm not knocking education. I have a master's degree in social work, but I believe that all social workers, all social work. therapists, all therapists need to understand that a person's lived experience will far outweigh anything that they have learned in a class. In a class. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, it's the biggest reason I believe why people are so turned off from the field and why people are not getting the help that they need. We want to blame people like them not coming to us is, is their fault when really we need to humble ourselves as a profession and understand that when it is somebody else's life, we are not the captain of that ship. We are there to walk alongside somebody while they are in distress and help lead them to get help themselves. It's almost like, and I hate for people to be like, oh, I'm empowering. You ain't empowering no doggone body. Empowerment comes from within. You can help lead a person down the path of empowerment right? You can help a person see what's inside of them, but that is something that is activated inside someone's soul. And so I just think we got to be careful when it comes to all of these things because it's a blocker. It becomes a blocker and a barrier to people even wanting to get the help that they know sometimes that they need. I'll never forget, and I'm not ashamed to say, I when I was over well, I won't name the school because every time you talk about that school, um, but I was at I was at a university and I was just experiencing overwhelming just sadness and just you know you know just it was just a mental health crisis at the moment and I go in and I'm t telling the lady I just talked to her for like five ten minutes she had me diagnosed. <laughs> this is like, how you gonna have me diagnosis from in 10 minutes like and wow. so I, and i told her i said ma'am i respect you i see your plaques and all of your degrees on the wall but you know one thing that i know you don't know is me you can't slap a label on me and you don't even know me and she was so taken aback like oh, how dare you talk to me like that no somebody needs to talk to y'all like that so that you understand Walking alongside somebody, slapping them with a theory in a book is not the way to go because we can cause more harm. And when really we didn't even mean to do so. Yeah, sometimes people get the textbook and give everybody a general diagnosis. Everybody has this, you know. You you don't haven't had a conversation, haven't dug in deep into somebody's life or anything but because you see a b and c oh that's that you know so and that's a stigma and i also think because also when we're seeking people out as for therapists i think you need to find people that you have something in common with you know um do they look like you uh you know um 
do they understand your, you know, your community and things like that? Because some people just diagnose you based off of books. And then some people who know you, know the community, have something in common with you, can tell you the truth. Hey, I understand that because I'm going through that too, or I've been down that road. So Go ahead, yeah. Alexander. Man, I'm just thinking about Trisha, what you're saying. It makes me think about uh, just so many Black people are have been, and I had this happen to me, like the misdiagnosis or diagnosis when you don't have anything wrong with you. Like, I'm thinking about that. I know so many people, including myself, and uh, this was fifth grade. And they tried to put me in special education classes, me and my older brother. Um, my father at the time accepted it. This is in Detroit schools, by the way. I go to the class, there's a lot of other kids that look like me who got in trouble. They didn't need to be there and neither did I. Um, I transferred schools and I ended up, you know, parents break up, all that kind of stuff happens, but I ended up transferring schools. Mom puts us back in our regular grades. I mean. I went to U of M. I graduated with a 4.0. Like, <laughs> I didn't need to be there. I was there because I was Black. And it's a common pattern that happens. And what you were saying just made me think of that because, like, it's so deep. Like, I, I've heard so many people say that kind of thing. Like, just, or the, you have ADHD. Like, and it's like, no, you just, you just, <laughs> you just have a problem with me because I'm Black. And it's this diagnosis thing is that all of that is why I say if you really want to break the stigma, you have to you have to address racism, too, because right. the stigma is ableism. It's wrapped in a web. And even in like I think of I don't know if you guys remember Elijah McClain, who passed away, like who died, was killed by a police officer in Colorado, the younger guy. Um I'm just thinking of how they, even the legal system, how they use that, use these things to justify murder. They said that he uh, exhibited excited delirium and they used that as a reason as to why they had to murder him as justification. And they did it for George Floyd too. So I just want to say this before Revitia take off on this. Uh <laughs> I see it all in your face, Reverend It, And I agree with you, Allie, because when it comes to us, we're crazy, right? But when it comes to other people, you know, they're just having a mental health crisis. You know, we don't have that same compassion. And these labels that people give us, uh, it's because of these labels that they made up about us 400 years ago or how many years ago. And they, and that brought those, and they still carrying it on today. Um, I'm reading a book about uh, medical apartheid and I'm telling you, <laughs> they go to school and they learn this stuff. Black people could take more pain. Black uh, people, you know, this is what they're learning in textbooks. And so when you go to doctors, 
They don't look like you and don't speak like you and don't understand you. You get labeled as something else and and you might just be upset today. You know, you were a kid and they put you in med- uh, special ed, but could you just been upset because your parents was breaking up? You know what I'm saying? Kids go through, you know, are upset and how they react is how they react. Not that they have some kind of mental condition. And then when people do have mental conditions, they either mislabel them or they just label them and just send them back out here with no help or a little help. And then, so I'm going to be quiet. Attorney Mac, go ahead. Well, the other thing I think about is the lack of oversight for law enforcement and people in supervisory positions, for example, to the Michigan Department of Corrections, to deal with mental health issues they have. Mm-hmm. See, because I'm, I can just tell you from my personal penitentiary experience, I ran into a whole lot of sick people wearing gray and black, a whole lot of people, you know, who, well, sometimes it's even hard to talk about this, who use that position not to oversee me. You see, look, look, and, and I hope some MDOC people are listening. Your job is to see that I get up and I return at a certain time and I'm there for count. That is your job and that's all your job is. Your job is not to try to use your position to punish me, to therapy me, to browbeat me so you can feel good because your wife ain't acting right. All these kind of things take that awful out on me, okay? That, that is not your help me your job <laughs> okay and so and so the, the problem is and i'm going to talk about people that have a penitentiary experience the problem is there is no escaping that that psychopathy i don't even know if that's a word i guess i just made it up there, there, there's no escaping that because you don't have anywhere to go within the department of corrections you, in the inmate you don't have anywhere to go well the, 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 the operating procedures and policy directives, that's what controls the Department of Corrections, the policy direct operating procedures. They make no protocol for addressing an officer that clearly has mental health abusive issues other than a grievance. And guess what? 95% of grievances, and I know because I offer, authored over 500 of them, are denied. <laughs> Are, are absolutely denied, out of hand, okay? And not only are they denied, the policy directives say that an inmate can be punished, can be punished for making a false allegation against an officer or a staff member. And the way they determine if an allegation is false or not, was the grievance upheld? Was action taken? Well, no, it, it, it was just dismissed. Therefore, inmate Mac 232506, you have made a false allegation against an officer. Now, see how, see how, see how, see how dangerous that is? See how dangerous that is? Because mm-hmm. with that false allegation against me charge, that opens me up for an insolence ticket, insubordination ticket, uh, abuse of staff, staff ticket, which goes not only into my file but, and, and could affect my ability to even get a parole in the first place. It goes into my file but it also subjects me to punitive measures by the department. For example, loss of phone privileges is a common 
common punishment. Okay, uh, loss of uh, of of yard time, another another punishment. Restrictions on like TV access. Okay, and for people who, and at the time that I was in the system that didn't have a TV, going into that day room and watch TV to be able to interact, that was a crucial crucial connection with the outside world. OK, so you could actually see something on the news. OK, and a lot of people didn't have money to pay for phone calls. I mean, the Department of Corrections is a hell of a mojo, y'all. It's a hell of a mojo because it was pimping inmates and their families for these phone charges. You would not believe how people was getting pimped on these phone charges. You know what I'm saying? So uh, so one of the issues I'd like us to try to address and maybe it has to go legislatively is mental health evaluations for these law enforcement and corrections officers and these parole officers, you know, uh, because, because we're victimized, y'all. And take it from a person who's in that system, we're definitely being victimized with nowhere to go or nothing to do about it. The people who live there every day who are incarcerated have mental health issues. And you work there and don't have no, none? Right. right. <laughs> that sounds like no. You yeah, you need to be evaluated too, because I'm sure that you have some. Because you you go to prison every day as well. You go there every day. That's right. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah. Go ahead, Rocky. Oh, go okay. ahead. I was. <laughs> go ahead. I've been waiting, y'all. I've been waiting. I know. I've go ahead. Fire. I've been on fire over here. Okay. <laughs> yes, the officers, because you're talking a whole culture. That's a culture that that's a culture of a mentality of, of racism. And so you have racist officers in the prison system who are now over people. And they're they're supposed to be a type of leader. It, it's it's just it's just sick when I think about it. And I um I was really heated when when Alexandria was was talking. Because she she reminds me of my own daughter. Okay, like I I got my kids are her age. That's don't look, don't y'all. That don't don't try to calculate my age. Now, just <laughs> Allie don't say nothing. Allie's still sixteen. I don't know why she's yeah, black don't crack, y'all. Leave us alone. So, I I cringe at that, you know, because. So many times we allow the school, and, and this is this is what I talk to parents about. How can you trust a system that has never been right for you? And you just take whatever that teacher or the administrator says, and you believe that they have your child at heart. That to me, now that is insane. Because because we're in agreement. You can't come and tell me about my child. You can't come tell me you you, need, you better come with some facts. And and you have to really safeguard children because that's where it starts. That's where the mm -hmm. label begins. It begins when they're children. And then this label follows them. And here she did 4.0 at Michigan. Let me let me tell y'all something. If you went, look, I went to Michigan. If you come out with a 4.0 at Michigan, at the University of Michigan, look, can't no scout, look, affirmative action. Mm -mm. 
if you made it out of Michigan as an African-American, and I know me making it out when I went, I busted my behind. And I, and I was, I did experience racism, not from everybody, but in the United States, you're going to experience some racism because that is the fabric of this country. And if we don't start admitting that that's the fabric, that's how it started. That's how it, it is. That how, that's how it came to be. When we understand that it's the fabric of the United States, then we can start taking action to to change the dynamics of it. But we can't change the dynamics if we keep going on with the okie doke. We just keep allowing them to, to just tell, our, tell us that our child has ADD, tell us that our child needs medication, tell us this and tell us that. And then we put all this stuff in our children. At some point, we need to say enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, ahead, you made now. me think about something, Reverend Tia. And What's that to say? Here we go back to language, right? Every municipality all across the United States of America, not all of them, but a great number of them, came out and said that racism was a public health crisis. It was, as some of them said, it, it was a, even a, an epidemic, right? All right, now let's look at that. But we don't see no remedies for racism. So how you declaring something a public health crisis, and I'm attending the city of Ann Arbor. Yes, Ann Arbor, I'm talking about you. I got my Hugo hat on. Yes, that's right. That's right, Ann Arbor. I'm talking about you, Ann Arbor. Okay, Ann Arbor. You sit up there and approve a budget with things on it that will help some black folks that can jump through your hoops. But why we keep putting off the reparations conversation? Now you a municipality that said it was a public health crisis. So how are you gonna acknowledge the harm of it? Because see, if we really, all of us, like I think somebody said earlier, all of us have some mental illness, right? When you look at post-traumatic slavery disorder, which is real, the weight and the heaviness of being black in America, which is real, okay, that within itself is enough for not only the acknowledgement, but you follow up with the repair. All of these things, this language that we keep using when it comes to mental health and when it comes to our physical health and the harms of racism, we use all of this language and these talking points are nothing more than just bits of fluff that we throw out there when we know we don't give a damn about the people that's really in health. I ain't going to say that. Oh, that's not everybody. Let me, let me clarify. Because there is some folks who care. But there are some folks that could give less than a doggone about what's really going on. And those are the ones that we have to challenge. We can't keep sitting by the wayside. This is the problem. We're sitting by the wayside. We're in allowing it. I was in a meeting last week, and I'm going to be quiet after this. I was in a meeting last week. And I'm going to say this with all due respect to our elders because I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm coming down y'all lane, too. Because if you look at it, not y'all on this panel, because y'all, y'all, you know, y'all is great, right? But some of our elders, 
And I get why it was very hard to stand against things. You know, back then people was being lynched, beat, just all kind of things, right? And so that fight, it seemed like it, it just took the fight from us, right? And so now you see the verge of what happened in 2020. You know, we hit the front lines, you know, and just put it all out on the line and still working. You know, we wasn't just marching. We building. We architects of social justice, right? And then here come our elders back to the front of the line like they've been working this whole time when they know they've been sitting by the wayside, quiet as a church mouse. Now, the Bible says that he called those that are seasoned because they have the knowledge, but he called the youth right? Because they have the strength. We got to find a way to bring those together. We're fighting egos within the midst of this movement and that's mental health within itself as well. Mm-hmm. We fighting against each other instead of fighting the oppressor. What kind of mental illness is that? So it's so many layers to our trauma and that is why we cannot have a cookie cutter approach. We need an approach that meets people where they are and it helps to progress people through by reparations of all kinds. Mm. That's a word. Um, a few things. A lion is only as strong as its pack. So that is the reason why we have to have our ego in check in this work. We are not alone. If we do, we're doing it alone we would not see any success. I mean, let's be real. How much can we carry and why would we want to carry more than we do already? Just simply existing, we carry a lot. Um, I also say too, in terms of fluff, yes, I call that air, but we should turn that air into action. (laughs) It's a whole lot of air out there. Air, 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 air. It's coming, it's coming. Um, And it's interesting you bring up Ann Arbor because there's a lot of air, but it's interesting to see what they take action on and the, 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 I guess um, the weight or the, what do you call it? Uh, How aggressive those actions are. So I'm thinking about, you know, Ann Arbor's city charter is like, in every city, it's like a constitution, the city's constitution, their charter. In their charter, the police chief is on their election commission. And it says that it's written in the charter. When someone something's written in there, it means it's set in stone until it's put to a vote on the ballot for like at least 10 years. That's a pretty big action to take. And it speaks louder than just words of I'm progressive and liberal. You wrote that power into the charter for the police chief saying this to Ann Arbor. Whoever did it, <laughs> that's the you. Because it makes me angry. Um, it, it shows it doesn't matter what hat they, that they wear. What are their values? Hat means mm-hmm. dim Republican, whatever. That's a hat. What are your values? And that was more valuable to them to put that person in that position for however long until someone has the ability to get it on the ballot. And that's like money to even get something on a ballot. Like, so it just, there's just layers of like, what the hell, um, like just wrong in, in many ways. And lastly, like I, when I think about like the prison systems and the jails and the, the police officers and those with mental health needs, you know, 
it's a lot of people in our jails who cycle through their daily and have mental health issues um, and aren't getting help. And I also think a lot of us should be more ambitious with our demands for, for changing officers, you know, policing them in jails and, and, uh, and um, the conditions for those who have mental health needs. Um, I think, you know, because an alternative, what, take them out, where do they go, right? But like there's funding, there's the American Rescue Plan funding and it's still up for use. All of that could be used to create non-restrictive mental health, um, mental health care housing. There's something called peer respites, most least restrictive model, not well, not widely used yet, but it is showing to like extremely prevent hospitalization, which is what most results in. Um, but like I say, be more ambitious with our ideology and, and demands and, and completely removing police out of the situation completely and shifting to an alternative. Because China changed their mindset and their culture, that is deep. I'm done with that, personally. I'm gonna play your video, Alan. Uh... Here's just a few things that we do know about Jordan Neely, the homeless man that was murdered on a New York subway. We do know that he was mentally ill and prior to his death, he was screaming about injustices, how hungry he was, how thirsty he was, and he was saying threatening things to passengers. We know that news outlets really want to highlight the fact that Jordan has been arrested over 40 times. Did you know that homeless people often try to get arrested so that they can have food, water, and a safer place to sleep? We do know that a 24-year-old Marine veteran then decided to place him in a chokehold. Now, we know the chokehold lasted for 15 minutes and the New York City coroner just ruled his death a homicide. So I guess there's some things I don't know. I don't know why Jordan nearly deserved to die if no one had been physically harmed. I don't know why the three men around him couldn't subdue him until the police came. I did not know that citizens were allowed to decide who lives and who dies. I guess there's a lot of things we don't know, but I do hope that we see justice for Jordan. Wow. Mm hmm. Yeah, that happened a couple weeks ago in New York, New York City. And within days, he raised over two point something million for his defense. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a consciousness. That's a consciousness. They were able to make raise over two point seven million dollars for somebody who killed somebody. And we can't get two dollars together, but we can. It's gonna take two point some million for his defense. Where you know you got homeless people. They was saying how mm -hmm. the, the homeless during COVID was living down in those subways and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's criminalized. Yeah. Right. So we care more about. Uh, somebody killing somebody then helping somebody so they won't end up in those positions. Now, mm -hmm. when they have been criminalizing that young man since his death, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody knew at the time that he had been arrested 40 times when he choked him out. Nobody mm -hmm. knew at the time that he had, you know, mental issues. Nobody on that, on that subway knew anything mm -hmm. about him. 
-hmm. and for the man to grab him from behind mm -hmm. and hold him for 15 minutes. Yeah. He I felt mean, privileged that he could do it. Right. Jay Love, you remember okay. the conversation we had last week <laughs> on qualified immunity? And you mm -hmm. know what? I I still see I still can see that steam coming off of Reverend Tia's forehead right now. <laughs> you know, you know, when you look at it, you think the woman was in a sauna. And so what I'm saying, what I'm saying, <laughs> and Jay Love, you tickled me so much, which is not funny, by the way, when I was saying, well, I got good news and bad news. <laughs> okay, well, well, what's the good news? Well, we're about halfway through the things the law doesn't do. Well, turn it back, what's the bad news? We're about halfway through the things the law doesn't do. <laughs> so, so, so what I'm saying is, is that just like with that qualified immunity, it doesn't preclude that dark money coming in to defend those police officers. You understand? It doesn't make mandatory the the revealing of the identities and amounts that the the people. I mean, I mean, who is it? My neighbor? My neighbor? If it was, I'd like to know because we ain't gonna hang out no more. So you know, it 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 doesn't it doesn't it doesn't allow for exposure. But but I tell you, who's not getting two point seven million dollars in defense? Then black police officer killed that man down in Tennessee. I, I tell you that they, they're not getting 2.7 million for their defense. See, so of course it's privilege. Uh, it's it, it, it's privilege, and 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 color has to do with it. And and please don't misunderstand. I don't think they should get a penny for their defense. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying with uh, Derek Chauvin, with those policemen that killed a black man, his name escapes me, down in Atlanta. He was sleeping in his car and then got an altercation with them. Was trying to run shot that man in his back, if, if, if my memory serves me right. You see, they raised all kinds of money for them people, all kinds of money. So, yeah, you know, uh, and I tell you, you know, the odds are with that with that kind of money, they're going to buy a gold-plated defense. I can guarantee you that, okay, you know. that's like going Kyle Rittenhouse. Right. Oh, a, a, a prime example, prime example, prime example. And they will weed out Anybody they even suspect will be saying, you don't have to do that man like that. You don't have to do that man like that. And so, you know, um, I, I don't know what the legal theories are with this gentleman's defense. I don't know if he say he was acting in self-defense. I don't know if he was trying to make a citizen's arrest. I mean, I'm not sure what it is, but you can best believe it's going to be a Lollapalooza, you know, and, and they're going to try, try to make that man look like a good public servant that was trying to protect the good citizens of a New York area, like from a gorilla. You know what it is. You know now. You know what it is. Oh, y'all know what it is. I was in fear. I was in fear for my life. That's right. That's right. That's the right. man had his back towards him. So how you turn? You grabbed him from behind. But so we know everything about you know Mr. Neely and his. But we don't know nothing. Nobody brought up his record. You know, uh, mm -hmm. his uh, he's a Marine. Was he a Marine or something? So we don't know anything about him. But you we know, do know, we know a chokehold for, uh, how, how, what was the chokehold for um, George Floyd? Eight minutes? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Hey, look, Trisha and I stood out in the middle of an intersection at uh, Huron and Main Street on our knee 
for six, seven, eight minutes. Isn't that right, Nine Trishore? minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah, I was there too, yeah. Okay, okay, you know, you know. And so if if that pavement hurt my knee, I can't even imagine what that did to that man's neck. Right. No, I, for 15 I, minutes. I appreciate the internet for finding out who did it before they put it out. Daniel Penny is his name. They found out who that man was off of a picture, a half shot, <laughs> and posted that everywhere. And I appreciate that. That's what I call street justice in my home. <laughs> like that, I love that because we got to save us ultimately. Yeah. And because he's having a mental health crisis, do that mean he deserved to die? And and that's the thing. That's that's the ableist idea. The the you're less die. than. The you're less than because you're disabled, right. and then you add black on top of that. Oh, you are really less than. This idea, this dominant narrative, that Daniel Penny and those donating to him is playing off of to win this case, right. and they got the right I mean, system for it. The most it, even if he it. was attacking people, did he deserve? Even if he was yelling at people, did he deserve to die? Did you deserve to give him the death penalty? Because that's what happened. Daniel Penny decided that he deserved the death penalty when he held him for 15 minutes. Now, if he's a trained Marine, he knows how much pressure to give. He knows how much is too much pressure. He knows how to... He knows this because he's been trained. So for you to hold somebody like that, and for those who help him hold him like that, for 15 minutes, that's insanity. There's no way to... And uh, uh, Pam wrote that the family from uh, Neely, he on, they only collected 150000 <laughs> compared to the murderer to over $2.something million. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I want us. I want the listeners to really know the the historical basis of all of this. So when you talk about like the Darwin theory, and you talk about the the survival of the fittest, <laughs> that that comes. That's a an old term, but it was used to actually establish the fact that if we say that you're weaker, then it's only the strong will survive mentality. Okay. So this is what is taught in the schools. So it's like only if you can survive, then you're supposed to be here. And so it was, it was actually the foundation of wars and of takeovers. And well, if you survive it, whoever's going to survive, then that's, who's going to win. That whole mindset is warped and people have still held on to that well it's whoever's going to survive whoever's going to have the biggest gun you got to ask yourself who are you to decide my demise Mm -hmm. and this has been happening for generations deciding to take people out all kind of ways. Jay already gave y'all the name of the book. I'm sure posted Jay posted in the in, on the online. Posted so people can get it. 
because we have to understand that there is a method out here and we don't need to fall prey to that, but it's time to take our life back. Go ahead, Allie. You know, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, attorney Meg. Yeah, I'm sweating. I, uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of what you're saying, man, is, is making me think about that. Like, uh, judge, jury and executioner, you know, Daniel Penny was, that's, he figured, Oh, I, I get to do this today, which is like just so bad. And I, I think about, you know, execution, uh, if you think of it as something immediate, that's that's slowly happening too to some communities. I think of environmental issues that is impacting people of color, impacting black people, just a lot of different groups. And that can be a slow death as well. And that's okay. how we are fooled in a lot of ways. So taking our life back is exactly what we need to do exactly where we are in our backyard our water systems our city resources what is the money going to and are we getting quality care in that resource that we have do we even know where that care is <laughs> those are the things that it's the it's a slow death if if no investment is happening i look at places like jackson mississippi where their water system has been tampered with and not and defunded and played with. And it's just so much like, so much like discrimination happening. And, and it's places here in Michigan too. I mean, we know Flint and we know we, it's countless others, but we got to take our life back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if I can just add on to that, it's it's just so systemic. I mean, you remember some weeks ago we talked about the black uh, DA in St. Louis County, St. St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, uh, the lady's name escapes me right now. You know, you know, you know they kicked her out. You know that, right? So 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 she's gone. Yeah, I, her name escapes me at the moment. But Jay Love and y'all y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, so she's 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 gone, and so. They're sending a clear message in so many different venues that you're really being marginalized. Okay, even with democracy, with you voting that woman in—excuse me for not remembering her name—as a district attorney for 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 St. Louis uh, County there in um, in Missouri, it doesn't matter because the state constitution allows the governor to take her out, and that's exactly what he did. So those people, black and brown people, elected that woman, and their vote has just been nullified, nullified. So, you know, just like Ali said, just like with the environment, you know, environmental racism, uh, the, the air too, by the way, air too, by the way, you know, I mean, black people in Detroit, well, that Southeast Detroit, by that incinerator, wherever that is, that incinerator there, you know, all kind of asthma and and breathing problems and, and cancer, uh, because of breathing that that dirty incinerator air, talking about well, we put filters on it. You ain't put a damn thing on it. You ain't put a damn thing on it. You know, talking about we put filters. Talking about putting a filter. Have you seen those incinerators? Have you seen what they put out? <laughs> putting a filter on an incinerator top is like putting a Kleenex over the exhaust pipe of a car. Okay, that's what. That's what. And and telling them black people breathe in. It's all good. So anyway, anyway, I know I'm dating myself, and I'm, I'm gonna go back. You know, to a man named Curtis Mayfield. And he was talking about, and Nixon talking about, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> so, 
Hey, black oh, people, y'all are being told, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Her name was Kim Gardner. Y yes, 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 yes. She's out, J Love. She's out. I was thinking when you when you were saying, <laughs> yeah, don't worry, hell, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but but no, like I was thinking, it, putting filters, right? Things we try to do, but we, it don't really do much. Putting a filter over something, having a filter, it feels so like when you know what you when you. I feel like sometimes people need to see it, need to see another way people live to really know what they can have, and they we would our mindset would change a bit because I think of. There's other countries who know where the clean water is and they go get it and they know where the dirty water is like that's not good for you and has toxins in it. They can go directly to the source. We can't do that here. We have to hope and rely on a system and just trust that it's good. A system that has wronged us a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like it's why I say ambitious, like people should be more ambitious and 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 making our life what it should be it, it should not a lot of people are very like accepting of things we don't deserve that's right um that's right because we can so have only, more so only in marginalized communities communities where you know i'm going to say where black people live and uh, brown people live those are only communities you'll hear them say go get a filter right, that's right that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know what? You know what, Alex? Ali, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because people are afraid, and, and we got it. We the fear is not <laughs> people who have become stagnant because of fear. That's not going to help us. We we've got to move beyond the fear. When I was uh, look a young social worker a long time ago. I went to uh, Louisiana and I was able to speak at the uh, social workers convention. And at the time, you know, I was trying to uh, get people to sign legislature in, in, Louis in Louisiana because of the system, the pollution of this company that was actually killing people. And I couldn't get one person to talk to me who lived in the community. Wow. When I mentioned it, now these people were dying. These people had cancer, tumors. They had all kinds of illnesses, stillbirths. Wow. They would not even speak to me, wouldn't even sign their name. So I'm, I'm talking to our audience and saying it's time to sign your name behind legislation that will change these measures. Because we still are part of this system. We still have to work within the system that has already been created. But we need signatures, we need your voice, and we need action. Right. So yeah, we, we can't we can't just be afraid anymore. Exactly. Trisha? No, I just honestly, um, 
I'm not gonna say I'm tired, but she gotta watch your words, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but just all of this stuff is just leaning into my left nerve. I'm telling you, it's like we just keep having to talk about something that we shouldn't even have to be talking about. It's like you pull up saying, hey, don't do that. People act like you want to be doing that. I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's but right. It's necessary. You know, and I tell people all the time, the onus of freedom ain't on Jay back. It ain't on Tia back alone, Alexandria back, Hugo. It ain't on my back. We all got a debt to pay. It's time for us to pay up. It's time for us to pay up. But the interesting thing about it is it doesn't necessarily mean your money. Right. It means your time. That's Raising right. your voice. Caring about something other than yourself. Caring about something other than capitalism and materialism. Caring about humanity. When are we going to get back to humanity? I mean, excuse me, because have we ever been there? I mean, really. When are we going to get to where we put humanity first? They, they 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 messed up the mural in Ann Arbor and they was like, oh, you was crying about the art. No, I wasn't crying about, I was crying because why? Why would you want to say all lives matter when you don't believe that black lives matter? Right. Right. And you said something that's very interesting, Allie. You said, I'm tired of trying to convince folks. You can't convince a stiff neck a stiff necked people will do what stiff necked people do and that's what they want to do and that's why we kind of sort of changed the survivor speak God told us to go and reawaken the voice of the community and we're trying to figure out ways outside of the box to do that because we have been rocked to sleep and on purpose but we've got to be responsible for waking ourselves up getting to these tables like you said we can't not be at the table so we got to get to these tables where decisions are being made for us without us because it's a lot on the line people's mental health is on the line they keep rolling out all of these things for mental health but are they starting with the community first and asking the community what they feel about it no so a lot of these things that are rolled out yeah they're they're good for the people that can make it and jump through those hoops, but there will be many people that will fall through the cracks, and we don't have to leave nobody behind. That's why we got to get to the table and demand our needs the way we need them, not the way that the scraps that people want to give us. Exactly. Because when you ain't at the table, they're going to give you water filters. <laughs> and you know what's, what's so, Horrible. I just want to say. <laughs> Trisha, that's so important because when you look at the monies and you look at per county, what they what they say they're spending for mental health. But then you look at all the administration, you got you got more people who are keep um they're over the purse. <laughs> they they're managing the money. You got so many people managing the money who so many people who are getting paid top dollar, 
But when you really talk about mental health and who's on the front line, who's helping people who suffer with mental illness, who is, who is, who is helping them? And it's people of color mm -hmm. on the front line, getting paid the least amount. I think top dollars is around 1550 an hour on a daily to spend with somebody who has exasperated symptoms of mental illness. And they're expected to be there day in and day out. And if they if they have an emergency or they got to go see about their child or they they or the snowstorm comes and they, they got to get there and make sure the person has the medication, they got to be there. And I'm telling you something, if they're not there, then they get a recipient rights complaint. And that could be a violation. For the person who's dedicated, because most of the people who are working with people with mental illness are dedicated from the heart because mm -hmm. they, feel, they feel a calling to do so. But the ones who get paid the most are not the ones who are on the front line helping these people. Right. We got to know where the money's going. It may be going towards mental illness, but it's not always going to the people who are help who are actually helping them. It's not going to the programs. And they have cut that mental health budget down steadily every time they get a chance as if it's draining the United States, and it is not. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can say this, I'm so glad you said that. You know, um, I get so infuriated when I argue with Black people about voting, you know, and, and the need to have your voice. I mean, I've had, I've had men willing to fight me over, over voting, you know. I, I had I had one ignoramus tell me he he wasn't going to vote. Um, I was supporting a Democrat in that in that uh, particular election. He he wasn't going to vote for for this woman for governor unless she came to his house and asked for his vote. I thought to myself, you know, man, you 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 don't say that about the man running against her, the Republican. See what I'm saying? You wouldn't demand he come to your house. But you see, you're going to say, no, nah, no, nah, unless you come to my house, that's my vote. I ain't voting for. So the fact that you're so ignorant and you decide not to vote at all, you become invisible. You are invisible. You're a throwaway person. We don't need we don't need to pay attention to you. You know, and so what I'm saying is, is that just right now, for example, elections do have consequences. You see what's happening with the debt ceiling. You see what's happening. And what I'm saying is, folks. When you drill down into the money, they talking about they want the, the, the money cut down, all that kind of stuff. You're talking about a lot of social service programs. That's what they really want to get to. That's what they really want to get to. You notice the cuts they're talking about ain't nothing in the military. You notice that. You see, you notice that. So what I'm saying is, is that everything y'all are saying is true, but it is all tied in. They want to limit the funds for people who need it the most. They want to get rid of them. And you know what? I read about a man named Hitler one time who had a very similar view. The people with mental health issues, uh, uh, whether you call that retardation or or some kind of a physical, um, you know, uh, a polio or a epilepsy or something like that. That man's solution was we're gonna get rid of them off the bat, off the rip. 
you know. So we're going to purge the sight of them people. And really, this is really just another form of genocide and another format is really what this is. To be honest, to be, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All you haters out there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so, you know, th that's why I'm so glad to be here because we got to keep talking up about this, you know, and, and you know, I, I love my black people, but sometimes we have such a short attention span. You know, we 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 overwhelm with life and and and, and everything, and, and we just kind of let it go. So, look, I just say God bless y'all because you know, as long as y'all here, we talk. We're not we're not gonna let this go. Mm -hmm. no. So we have um, Allie. Tell them about your event tomorrow. Uh, yeah, um, yeah okay, so tomorrow is a mental health community luncheon and power gathering. Um, so you'll hear from directly impacted leaders, community leaders, uh, community members about their experience uh, with mental health, uh, the lack of resource accessibility, and how they also experienced that through incarceration. And why it's important that we invest in people's livelihood now. Uh, but you'll also have an opportunity there to develop a strategic plan or how we can break the stigma on all levels. Uh, so not just personal from one-to-one -to, -one to each other in our linguistics and in, uh, in our day-to-day -day, uh, with family, but also the institutional barriers, because ultimately that's how we're gonna overcome things. But we can only do that if we do that together. So that's yeah. tomorrow, uh, May 20th from 12 to two, Refer Library and Meeting Room A. All right, I know exactly what that is. Uh, so also tomorrow, Trisha. Oh yes, we are grateful um, to be able to come together in community um, for our wrongful conviction support group. We come together every month, every third Saturday at 10 a.m. And it could be families, loved ones, advocates, those that have experienced the wrongful conviction themselves, just everybody within community standing together um, because this work is heavy and what folks have experienced is heavy. And I know that sometimes the load is lightened when we walk alongside each other. So meet us tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, you see the QR code there and uh, the Facebook page where you will see the link to sign up um, for the, we'll send you the Zoom link. Uh, we don't like to put the Zoom link out on Facebook because we know what happened in the era of COVID when Zoom links were going out on Facebook. So um, if you register, we will get the link right over to you. Um, and that's again tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And also... And H Mac Law, you should hook up. H Mac Law, baby, you should hook up. And so while he's hooking everybody else up, he's gonna come hook us up as well. Um, so every third Saturday at 1 p.m., we meet as the wrongful conviction task force as we want to promote policies that are gonna impact change, right? Um, and really help to decrease. Um, or, or what we would like to say, eradicate the um, injustices of wrongful convictions. And attorney Hugo Mack is going to be joining us 
walking us through, talking us through possible legislation that could remove governmental immunity. And so this was actually um, drafted up by, uh, at the time, State Rep. Yusuf Rabi. Um, and so this bill is back in the mix of things. Yeah, I think it's lumped in with a bunch of other bills, which we, we don't really like that either. But we're going to walk through these bills um, with Attorney Mack explaining to us because we want to know if this is the, the language that we need to see. Is mm. this what we actually need as a community? You know, just because it was introduced does not mean that it can't be strengthened. And do we want to even go this route? We may want to get signatures and put something on the ballot ourselves, but we won't know until we have someone who has that legal brain that we need to walk us through this language um, so we can be sure. So thank you so much, Attorney Mac, uh, my good friend and brother, for being with us on tomorrow. And we need everybody else there, too. We need all hands on deck because this movement is all hands on deck. And if you don't have your hand to the plow, you are part of the problem somehow. Yes. <laughs> and also tomorrow, uh, Shawana Vine is having a 5K walk yes. for mental health awareness, silent cry. So, and that's going to be at Palmer Park in Detroit. So we want you to check that out. Um, but we also want you to say the date, the Love Gathering, June the 24th, 2023, from 12 noon to 6 at Handy Park. Uh, it's 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 going to be a really awesome uh, event. So please, we want to see you there. As well as next week, we're going to have Dr. Reverend Reverend Dr. Spencer Murray for No Harm National Organization for Healing and Redefining Manhood. We're going to um, be talking about Black masculinity and mental health. Helpful tips for emotional and mental well-being. That's going to be our conversation next week. We also would like for you to support and donate the Voice of Detroit. Uh, Miss Diane, she got some hot topics going on right now. So, and to keep that uh, platform alive, she needs support. It's been way over 20 years. I think she's been doing it even longer than that. So we support her. So we're asking you guys to support her. Go to www.voiceofdetroit.net and leave a donation. As well as we also supporting the Final Push Project Clemency for Susan Brown. Susan Brown is, is an international artist who just happened to be incarcerated in the Michigan Department of Corrections. She's doing a special piece for the Love Gathering. So we support her clemency. Here's her QR code. And as well as the link, you can go there and uh, find out about Susan Brown's story. Um, I'm not going to tell you to uh, listen to me. Read the story <laughs> and you will feel the same way as I do about Susan Brown. And as well as many other women who are incarcerated in Michigan for defending themselves in domestic situations. So um, also we like for you to support Susan Brown. And also I think we have one more thing. 
Town Hall meeting for Michigan deserves a second look. That's Friday, June the 16th from 5 to 8 p.m. That's Mac Alive on Fisher Street in Detroit. They're going to be discussing the second look legislation, our youth, our community, and the justice system. Please go mark this on your calendar. Uh, we just have to get involved in the more things that we uh, find out about and the more uh, we get involved, things can change. So I want to say um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, and we will see you next week. Uh, Adrian, I don't know what link you need, but just leave it in the comments and one of us will get it to you. Uh, Rabbitia, see you next week. Attorney Mac, Trisha, Allie, thank you so much. Good night. All right. Good night. See you guys next Friday. Attorney All Mac. right. Love y'all. Until the next week. Bye bye.